This episode of History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast, is brought to you by Frame Nation. It's your one stop for any kind of displaying or framing needs you may have. Go check them out there in the Shaco Design District at 11 South 15th Street, um, you know, right near the Main Street Station, uh, right there. And um, you can get museum quality stuff. You can get anything, you know, much more affordable. They have all kinds of, you know, conservative styles to funky styles. Whatever you need to complement whatever it is you're trying to display. Bring what that thing is down to Frame Nation or just describe it to them. They have that very helpful staff that will, uh, you know, get you all taken care of. Um, really, really good folks to work with. And, again, they're at 11 South 15th Street. Go check them out, Frame Nation. You can find out more information at framenation.net. Uh, you can also follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, anywhere where you fo follow folks. You can follow Frame Nation. You should do it. I do. Frame Nation. This is History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. Hope you're having a fantastic day. This is a special episode of uh, History Replays Today. Uh, it's actually the 24th episode. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that the podcast comes out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th of every month. That means when I post this episode, I'll be posting for a full year. That's pretty exciting to me. It's pretty exciting. Um, that's why this episode is going to actually be a, a part one of a two-part episode uh, from that'll be the, the best of over the last year. Um, the last couple episodes that just came out. I know I got a bunch of new listeners over the last couple episodes, um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna include those. Those will be in the 2014-2015 best of if I decide to to do that. Um, but uh, um, these are just going to be, I'm going to play some snippets of each episode. If you hear one that you like, um, go back and check it out. All of these episodes are free on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, you know, wherever you're listening to this now, maybe historyreplaysaday.org. And, you know, let me know what you think. Um, you know, cause this will be the 10 through six. I'll have five through one coming up on the, the next episode. And, you know, Tell me if you've if you've listened to them all. If there's one that you really loved, you don't hear it here. Maybe I can include that into the into the you know maybe that'll sway my decision. That's what I get for the the, the five through one. Um, let me know about that for sure. I know from my download stats that most of you haven't heard most of these clips, um, so it shouldn't be you know it shouldn't be uh, anything too repetitive. Um, if you have heard it, you know maybe it'd be a nice little refresher for you. Um, I'm going to share a couple thoughts about, you know, when I actually recorded it and, you know, how I felt about it, um, about each one and, you know, kind of why, why it means a lot to me. Um, but a few things before we get started. Um, I do want to thank everyone who has ever downloaded a, even one episode. Thank you very much uh, for supporting the podcast. Uh, I definitely want to thank my brother, John Major, Jay Rawls, uh, who, who actually wrote and recorded the, the theme song that you hear. On most episodes, a um, couple of them get, you know, get, get, uh, um, he gets the bump on that if I, if I can find a um, local relevant music that goes along with it. Uh, but 
you know, thank you to everyone who has agreed to sit down with me as a guest. I'm not really exactly sure how how I get folks, you know, with their busy schedules to to make time for me. Uh, definitely want to thank uh, Frame Nation uh, for sponsoring the podcast and River City Segs for sponsoring the podcast. Which, speaking of that, River City Segs, the premier Segway tour company in Richmond. If you're looking for a tour of Richmond, that Segway tour is the way to go. Go check that out. RiverCitySegs.com. Follow River City Segs at um, on Twitter at 804Segs, Facebook, you know, Pinterest. Just come down, check it out. River City Segs does have the only indoor Segway specific training area in Virginia, right? Always practice safe Segs. Very, very important. Uh, but I also want to thank Richmond.com. Uh, they actually let me post these episodes, uh, you know, after they come out. I know a lot of folks have come to the podcast and become listeners that way, uh, or even, you know, not become regular listeners, maybe just heard a specific, you know, read something there and said, I want to listen to that one episode. Uh, but I definitely, most of all, I want to make sure I thank my wife, um, Robin, for, for putting up with me talking about the podcast, you know, wasting time, um, frankly, just putting up with me at all. Not really sure how how I worked that out to get to get her to stick around, um, but you know, she's I've gotten her fooled this long, so so we'll see how that keeps. Hopefully, I can keep that that up. But again, if it's the first time you've ever listened to the podcast, again, thanks for thanks for listening. Um, History replays today is conversations with historians, authors, Richmonders um, that just have a good story to tell about the history of Richmond, um, and you know, it shouldn't take very long. For anybody, if you're listening to this, to recognize that this is not a Civil War podcast, which you know a lot of people think Richmond history, they're going to go straight to the Civil War. This is actually about all of Richmond's history. I'm trying to look at it all kinds of different facets as well, not just you know the Civil War this happened, or not just military or political. I'm trying to go in all kinds of different angles. Um, a perfect example is the first snippet I'm going to play, which I consider you know it's my tenth favorite, so my, my number ten list. And and listen, I have a huh, I love all the episodes, like my children, but I had to put them in order in order to do this. So um, my 10th favorite, uh, it's by far the most famous guest I've ever had. Um, his name's Patrick Henry. Um, he, among other things, the first governor of Virginia. He is most famous today for um, being at the Second Virginia Convention, where he gives the liberty or death speech. You know, we actually don't talk that much specifically about the speech there at St. John's Church in Churchill. Um, the, the full episode is actually more about um, Patrick Henry's entire life. Um, really, really fascinating stuff. Um, but the snippet is uh, really just about uh, why the Second Virginia Convention was in Richmond. Um, and for that matter, why Virgin Richmond becomes the new capital of Virginia, right? The capital's in Williamsburg at the time. Why are they moving it up here? Um, Patrick Henry is portrayed by Kevin Grants, uh, one of the folks that puts on the amazing reenactments all summer, every Sunday during the summer at St. John's Church of the Second Virginia Convention in the Liberty or Death speech. Um, highly encourage you to go check it out if you've never done it. Really well worth your time. Um, if you're in Richmond, wonderful little asset that we have. You should experience it. Go be a part of it. Um, but let's check out number 10 on my favorite episodes. Patrick Henry. When you guys did come up to Richmond, um, I don't know if you can remember at all, but what, obviously the church was much smaller. Um, Richmond was a tiny place. 
know, about 500. I mean, is there six, about 600 people? Um, I mean, I guess from what our standards, I mean, the difference, it would probably been phenomenally less homes, right? I mean, um, the streets are far less graded, much, much steeper than they are today. Um, and I mean, is it just coming here for, because it's not Williamsburg, it's the closest town or like what, why Richmond was chosen as for the second Virginia convention? Well, Richmond was chosen for much of the same reason that it was moved, uh, the capital from Williamsburg to Richmond later on. It is more centrally located in the colony uh, than is uh, Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. And yes, the 50 miles or so between us would give us ample warning if the King were to try, uh, or Lord Dunmore were to try to send the Royal Marines, but we were sure he would not do that because were he to send the Royal Marines to dis uh, displace us, then of course Williamsburg would be defenseless and the citizens would rise up. But Richmond is more centrally located and that is one of the reasons why during the war we removed it here and that it was thought to be easier to defend, although it was eventually burned as well. Um, but Richmond was indeed a very small town, but it has always been destined to be a great town. The falls here are the furthest west of any of the falls of any rivers in any of the colonies, so that an ocean-going vessel can go further west here than anywhere else. The uh, river and the discovery of iron across river in Manchester uh, means that there will always be an industry. and with the surrounding uh, farmers bringing their goods to market here at the falls to trade, it was destined always to be a, um, a great city, whereas Williamsburg has many disadvantages, uh, very swampy and unhealthy in many ways. Hmm. And, and when you come here, I'm, uh, you know, it's obviously very high stakes, um, but you haven't seen a lot of these people. I mean, and I'm assuming you're friends? Would you consider these colleagues friends or some of them that, you know, for this convention? I mean, uh, you obviously knew some from the House of Burgesses, like you said, some might have been real, uh, you know, taken out. But, I mean, I guess, first of all, would you, would you maybe go have a beer with them afterwards? I mean, would you, were you friendly that way or was it more of a business arrangement? You must understand that in Virginia, being so small, that we are all interconnected. Mm -hmm. in one way or another, so to offend one of us is to offend all of us. I have many gentlemen who I'm related to here, and of course you have Lees, mm -hmm. uh, where Richard Henry Lee was here, Richard Lee was here, Henry Lee was here, mm -hmm. um, So, but we are all interrelated because of the small size of the colony. Friendly? Uh, yes, with many of them, because I'm a friendly fellow. Some of them I had my disagreements with. Um, and some I would, yes, go out and go to the taverns afterward because that's of course where we stayed if we were not close enough to be at home. And that is one of the sources, uh, General uh, Washington, who was colonel at this time, was never a great public speaker. He spoke very little to, to any effect, but he used his influence in the taverns and talking to the gentlemen one-on-one. -on -one. And that is where a great deal of the um, conversation went. The speech I made there, uh, it swayed some people, I believe. Um, 
Mr. Pendleton, who has always had a little animosity towards me, uh, was very much in power and representative of the old power, uh, spoke very forcefully against it, and there was a lot of indecisiveness. So my speech was aimed more towards the rising uh, group of people and the frontiersmen who represented the vast far ends of the county, of the country, um, what is now Pennsylvania and Illinois and Kentucky. All this was part of Virginia. We stretched from the Atlantic to the Mississippi and up to the Great Lakes. And those gentlemen were not so inclined to see the old planters rule everything as they always had. So much of my speech was geared toward them. But we had heard the arguments for 10 years. And as a lawyer, I was able to deal with each one as it was raised and point out the absurdity of their position. Mm -hmm. And it was a very close vote, I can't remember exactly, five out of the 120 or so, something like that. But I was able to persuade enough people to go ahead that we must start the steps needed for our own self-defense. Right. You won. The score doesn't count, right? That's I think so. <laughs> good way to put it. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, I imagine that there would have been somewhat of, I mean, because you guys were here for a week, though. Yes. Correct. I mean, that's a single. That's the what the second, second day, I believe. Um, and after that, I mean, what? Where's this? The red. And today, we don't really focus much on the other day, so we don't really, you know, was it mostly just putting things in order, figuring out, you know, voting people, new people, or what? What happened for the rest of the week? A lot of it was mundane business. Mm -hmm. um, my resolution called for preparing a plan for arming the colonies and. Of course, we had discussed this before. I've, Colonel Washington was on the committee with me, and he had the plan in his pocket. And so the next day, we presented it and passed it. And one of the things we did was choose delegates to go to the Second Continental Congress. And that is fateful because uh, Colonel Washington was wearing his Fairfax County Independent Company of Men uniform, his blue and buff, to show that he was willing to fight. And he made the mistake of wearing that to the Second Continental Congress. And when the fighting began, Mr. Adams, looking around and realizing that a Virginian was needed for this thing, he did not want it to be just a New England conflict, and realizing that Colonel Washington was an experienced soldier, nominated him, much against Mr. Washington's desire. He told the Congress he did not think he was capable of it, but once they offered it to him, he could not, in honor, refuse it. And I believe that that was the correct choice. Colonel Washington is not of the first minds, but he has a solid mind. And a leader need not necessarily be the smartest. He must judge talent, which Colonel Washington has always been able to do, be forthright and honest, and make best use of those talents around him. He stayed in the field for eight years when others who perhaps for a battle or two may have been more brilliant generals would have long since gone home. And it was his perseverance, I think, that won us the conflict. That's really a great example of, you know, one of the things I really love about the history and about Richmond history in general, um, that you can kind of imagine 
going to a bar or a tavern, as they would call it, and just hanging out with George Washington and Patrick Henry and, you know, the Lees, bring a round of beers over for everybody. I mean, I mean, that's that's pretty daggone cool. I, I, I think that's pretty awesome. I'm going to go with number nine on my list of my favorite episodes. Um, it was actually a conversation with Chris Sumner. Uh, he's the curator at the Poe Museum. Uh, he does an amazing job throughout the entire episode of just telling these really fantastic stories about Edgar Allan Poe, um, really busting some myths that most people have about Poe, um, you know, about his uh, his infamous swim in the James River up six and a half miles up the river. He, you know, solves murders through the newspaper and, um, you know, all these really fantastic things about Edgar Allan Poe that, that I personally didn't know and I don't think most people know either. Um, this snippet actually starts out with me asking him, you know, where Poe actually lived in Richmond. Um, the only place I know of that I knew where it was, um, I knew the general area. The only one that's marked uh, is the the home that he lived in uh, on the corner of Fifth uh, and Main Streets, the southeast corner, um, and it was has a marker on it. Um, the home was called Moldavia. Was his last childhood home. He did come back later in life, lived in different boarding houses, but that was the nicest, the biggest house where he lived the Allens. And his foster father's second wife lived there until the 1880s. So it was well known as the Allen Mansion and long associated with Poe. So that was something that was really popular. Even in his later years, there was lots of photographs of it because mm -hmm. people knew what it was. There were drawings and paintings people made of it. So, of course, that got demolished in 1890. Okay. And just from just because it was in terrible shape or just... Yeah, it had fallen into disrepair. It had gone through a series of renters, but it didn't have anybody willing to take care of it. The other downtown mansions that survived were taken over by different clubs like the Garden Club of Virginia and mm -hmm. the women's club, but there wasn't anybody willing to take care of this house and preserve it, so it had to go. And so I guess did he have uh, the kind of fame? I know he was pretty famous when he was alive, but I mean, was there not? Did was he not famous enough for them to keep these places? Or uh, he was you know? famous, but they didn't like him very much here. Okay, so. They put that plaque there about 1906, and that was about the time that there was a movement to build a statue of Poe in Richmond. They already had a statue in New York in the 1880s, and another bus they built up in 1909, and then in Baltimore they had a statue of him, but in Richmond they didn't really have a statue, so in 1906 the Poe Foundation gathered to just build a statue on Monument Avenue, and they just couldn't get the public or sore. Couldn't get the su public support for it, and even the local paper said that Poe wrote some nice poetry, but his character wasn't worthy of being remembered. Wow. And because he's not a good Virginia gentleman, that Virginia should not honor him, so he wasn't going to get his statue. And, and they decided maybe they would build an international Poe Museum to house their collection of things that he used to own, and they thought the perfect place for that would be at the magazine where he used to work, the right. Southern Literary Messenger. Uh -huh. Which so is in 1916, where the, strip the city is now, yeah, right? The city demolished that one in 1916, and now you have a international stripper. Yeah, or, <laughs> a series of them. Yeah, and we, we actually one of our volunteers once was going to write an article for our newsletter, interview some of the strippers, and ask them what it was like working at <laughs> historic sites and if they ever felt inspiration from Poe and their routines. But 
We thought maybe the board wouldn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely would be entertaining, though. I, I imagine that uh, I would read it. Um, the uh, it, And is that when... That's not when the one of the capital comes in, right? Because I would have loved to see... I mean, it definitely would have made Arthur Ashe not seem quite so weird when people put him up there if he was on Monument already. Then the capital came in the 1950s. There was a doctor in Philadelphia who thought that Richmond deserved a Poe statue because Poe had spent most of his life in Richmond. He always considered his hometown. He referred to himself as a Virginian. So he sent this bronze statue of Poe down to Richmond and it sat in storage for a couple of years before they finally decided to put it on the Capitol Square where it is now. Wow. And so I guess maybe we can even go back there. So he, he is born in Boston, yeah. right? And his parents are actors. Yep. And because I know I've heard his mom, a lot of his mom comes here. But what happens to his dad? His father had been through here before. They actually got married. So his parents were married right here in Richmond, the old Henrico County Courthouse. It's no longer standing. It was just a few blocks down the street from where we are now. Okay. And somewhere the father disappeared. We're not exactly sure where. We know his last performance that was reviewed was in New York City. And then after that, there was a quick notice that said that Mr. Poe was unable to perform the night before due to a sudden indisposition, which probably means he was too drunk to perform. Yeah. And then he's gone. We don't have any more records of him until Norfolk. There's a letter written by Samuel Mordecai, who was a Richmond historian at the time, mm -hmm. and he wrote to his sister that Mr. and Mrs. Poe have quarreled and parted ways. So they know there's some kind of quarrel, and the father left the mother and that's all we know we don't know where he's buried it was somewhere probably in some potter's field in some unmarked grave mm -hmm. so there just might not be a record out there yeah I'm going to definitely have to use that next time I have too much to drink that's not sudden disposition yeah you're just indisposed yeah <laughs> um and the uh so and it's his mom dies shortly after that right like I said I guess she's performing at the Richmond Theater yeah and um she dies before the fire, right? Yeah, she died just a couple of weeks before the fire. Okay. So if she hadn't contracted tuberculosis, hadn't died, she probably would have been in the fire. Yeah, not working out so well for her. No. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, thank you. Um, if, if anyone does not know, the Richmond Theater, which brought Edgar Allan Poe's mom to Richmond, um, is actually where monumental churches today on Broad Street kind of nestled into where in between MCV and a lot of the state and city buildings there. Um, but uh, we do cover it in depth with uh, Leslie Naranjo from uh, Richmond Foundation on episode 18. Uh, go check that out one out. Um, really, really interesting, beautiful, beautiful uh, Greek revival um, church there um, that was actually built on the site as a monument to the 72 people who actually died in the Richmond Theater fire. Um, but the next episode, number eight on my top 10 of favorites, uh, is actually features Bob Gorman. He's the shop foreman of Slave Pit Inc., which is better known as Guar, the kind of a metal thrash um, shock band. Uh, but it's really an art collective. Uh, the, the front man, um, singer, um, you know, the leader, um, fellow who played a, a character named Adurus Arungus, um, Dave Brocky. Uh, he actually just passed away just recently, uh, very suddenly, very sadly. Uh, so it actually made this episode a lot more poignant. I actually really enjoyed the conversation, really enjoyed doing it. Um, but listening back to it, you know, just after he passed, I mean, it was not that long ago. Um, I mean, it was, 
it, it's it's kind of brutal. Um, but the stage show is infamous. You know, blood sprays out all over the the crowd, and um, you know, pop culture icons are you know killed and disfigured in all kinds of silly and you know over the top ways. Um, it's it's somewhere between musical theater, uh, uh, pro wrestling, and, and like a live action cartoon, something like that, like Quentin Tarantino movie, sort of something in that sense of sort of silliness, even sillier within the within the violence they have. Uh, but this is a great example of of what Richmond history can be, right? It's not just uh, not just war, not just you know politicians. Um, but this is a, a really amazing art collective that actually been around for almost thirty years now in Richmond. Um, you know, Guar's got to be you know in their own right. I mean, it's some of the some of the most well known artists that Richmond has ever produced throughout its history. Um, definitely, definitely on that list, and. Um, Bob's going to actually, uh, in this segment segment here, is going to actually be telling us about um, how the group formed. Very humble beginnings, how it formed uh, almost 30 years ago. Are there any other members in, like, that, that stayed on? Like Dave Brocky, I know, you know a lot of the folks are still around Richmond, but um, he's the only one that's the original, like, uh, from... Yeah, I would say, well, it's, it's there's several guars. Right. And, and what I try, I'm trying to do... In this, these projects is sort of show. It's almost like Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's eras of this thing that it's the same thing, but there's almost a different cast. Right, different theater. The, yeah, like theater troupe. Yes, it's it's the same ideas and the same. Uh, at our heart, we're an art collective that uh, we're communal. Mm -hmm. We share ideas. We all give into the pool and we all take back collectively. Uh, I've come up with ideas for songs. Guys that play guitar have come up with ideas for costumes that I've mm -hmm. built. So it's this communal pool that we all um, are part of. And the foundation of that was at the Richmond Dairy, which was a art collective. Um, and the, the the early Richmond Guard, Dave's the only person left of that. Okay. But the touring professional Guard, there's still like five of us. Okay. Because... When the old war basically disintegrated, um, and and Dave was like, "I'm going to keep this going and do something with this and try to make a living off of it." Some of those people, Don Draculich, Chuck Farga, Hunter Jackson, they all stayed because they were part of the thing. Now, uh, you know, Don is actually still with us. Right. So Don's one of the original. He just doesn't tour with us, but okay. he's making the movie with me. Um, he comes in and sculpts. He's our basically our main caricature sculptor. Okay. Uh, so he, you know, everybody from the modern Guar, which is like 1980, mid-1987 on, is, you know, we formed Slave Pit Incorporated in 1990, and we all are shareholders. So some of the original guys are shareholders. Mm -hmm. And they still own part of the company. Mm -hmm. They're just not active shareholders. They just get a right. royalty check every year. Sure. Uh, so we're. I'm very proud of that fact that, that we we have put our money where our mouth is. Like yeah, we 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 pay the people that started the company, even though they're no longer involved with us. And yeah. a lot of places like Jimmy Dean Sausage, you know, he has nothing to do. He doesn't. He doesn't even get right. a check, you know. And he's Jimmy Dean. It's a legit. <laughs> yeah, it's a legit uh, corporation, though. It, it, it's you know it's, not, it's no longer just kids playing around with right. with 
uh, masks and stuff. Yeah. Um, where would the, the dairy, the Richmond Dairy Barn, or where was that? Do you know? It's still there. I mean, it's condos now. If that's the same one that they're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I heard a bunch of stuff about that, and I was like, okay, well. The, 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 it, it figures into Richmond history in several ways. And that's ways. like in Jackson Moore, like Adams and Marshall. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, well, it's Jefferson and Marshall, the corner of Jefferson and Marshall. Okay, like all the right. actual right. address is 313 uh, Jefferson Street. Right, like, it's right behind Comfort. Yeah, across from the Fifth Gallery 5 and like all, up Absolutely, in there. Absolutely, yes. And so, some hippies that had gotten booted out of, you know, there's there's a long history of how the dairy figures into Richmond art history, which is really fascinating, and I didn't know a lot of it until I started working on these projects. The guys that had started the free university um, mm -hmm. that didn't last, you know, they had these uh, classes and, you know, a lot of people tried it in 1970 all around the country. It's a, we're going to have a university where you get a degree in growing pot or whatever. Right. Um, they had gotten kicked out because they didn't pay the rent at... Uh, what's now Empire, you mm -hmm. know, upstairs, the Metro Rockets. And they found the dairy building, which some investment lawyers had bought because it was it had been abandoned for, you know, almost 10 years at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and so these investment people thought, well, we're going to buy this property and sit on it and develop it eventually. Mm -hmm. And let's get these hippies in there right now to manage the property. So the hippies started a... Um, a uh, T-shirt factory on the first floor, and didn't do anything with it. And so uh, maybe they rented it out to one guy, and then people started finding out about it. And say, hey, you know, you can go in this building and sort of pioneer part of it, and you know, it's wide open. You know, there's it's cheap as it's cheap as crap. So, you know, Hunter found out about it. He wanted to make a movie. He had made a movie already. He got in there. You know. I don't think Death Piggy was in there yet, but it became this secret mm -hmm. that people, st really cool people, started finding out about it. And were it wasn't they squatting, or they were paying both. Okay, <laughs> you know, uh, because they were paying, but even the guys that were in there weren't even in there legally because you know at the time there was no fire code or right. anything. So it was, and you definitely couldn't live there, and everybody lived there. Sure, okay. So even if it was slightly legal to be occupying a building that didn't have proper plumbing, you definitely were not supposed to live there, and everybody lived there. Right. And I wouldn't say it was just a secret for punks and art people. There were all kinds of people in there. I mean, there was a, there was a uh, Richmond Philosophical Institute, uh, which was uh, a group of guys that just got together. I think they had a, a, a show on uh, cable access where they just talked about philosophy. Right. And they taught us a class at Open High. Um, th there was a lot of weird, cool things going on there, and it wasn't just centric to the punk art community. It was just weird stuff happening in there because it was cheap and it was huge. Yeah, that's interesting because um, the, the free university, actually, the first time I heard about that was when I was talking to Dale Bromfield on, uh, for mm -hmm. a different episode, earlier episode. Um, that's interesting to hear that they went on. To yeah, actually... and it was Russell Clem, uh, who was the landlord, per se, at, at, the, at the dairy. So the, the reason why Guar is still the way it is, which is really fascinating to me, is that the, the commune aspect of how it came together really affected its mission statement mm -hmm. or its corporate identity, which is, you know, all for one kind of thing. Uh, and so 
the, the reason why the origin of Guara is very hard to describe is because it, it happened in such a many stages. Mm -hmm. um, Death Piggy, which was um, a, a local theatrical punk band, uh, was in the Richmond area, you know, in 1984. It had been, I think, I think they started Death Piggy in 1982. Mm -hmm. They'd been playing in town, and they started doing sort of absurdist theater with punk rock, you know, uh, setting up a living room on stage and not even playing any music. And you're doing very surrealist type of things for punk people to be confused by. Right. They had a pinata full of stuff that they threw into the audience. And, you know, there, there's all kinds of, of things that, that Dave and the guys in Death Piggy were doing. Uh, Hunter Jackson was a local... Uh, CA graduate of VCU who had become disinterested in art school and decided to make um, some weird movies. And his group of people were all sort of stratifying in the dairy as well. And they had rented the space there to film a movie about barbarians from outer space. Um, and one idea was that the barbarians from outer space were here to conquer Earth, but they all got sidetracked and one became like an alcoholic, one got a girlfriend. It was sort of a, uh, mm -hmm. an idea like when you grow up, you lose these pure ideas of what you're really trying to sure. do. So one of the members had gotten in the idea of the movie, which was going to be called Scum Dogs of the Universe. One of the ideas was that that one of the guys had joined a rock band and he was no longer interested in conquering the world because he was too busy, you know, uh, getting laid or just partying. Um, so the idea was that Death Piggy was going to be part of this movie and where they were going to provide a soundtrack and they were going to uh, play some of the barbarians from outer space. So right. they could kill two birds with one stone because... Sure. Um, but Death Piggy was already doing theatrical performances. So when the two met, you know, Dave was obviously like, oh, this, this, is, this is cool, you know, this is more like, I, I can, you know, I can get involved with this because it's, it's uh, where I was already going. Yeah, yeah. And Hunter was basically like, well, you know, people are paying attention to them, so that's going to draw attention to my project that, you know, is alone in this dark warehouse that nobody knows about. So they both saw like, wow, something could happen. Equally beneficial. Meanwhile, there's all these other people that are, like, not doing much with their stuff, saying, hey, you know, I, I could build a staff or a, or a helmet, you know, what, what can I do? Like, oh, I'll play this guy that gets killed, you know. And the fact that, you know, my, my opinion on how Gore started is that it, it was very, it had to be, if Dave and Hunter hadn't met, Gore wouldn't have happened. All the rest of us are important, but not as important. And the third thing is, if they hadn't met in the dairy where there was a huge building full of other artists and full of cheap space. Because mm -hmm. if you're in New York City, where are you going to find the space to do it? Where are you going to find the materials? Where are you going to find the people? It's, everyone's too busy trying to make rent. There you go. Uh, again, really amazing conversation. It came, uh, you know, meant a lot more, actually, uh, after Brocky's passing. Um, R.I.P. Odoris Arungus. Um, but... Uh, and also remember, all of these episodes, every single one, they're all free, um, free to download, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you're listening to this. Go check it out. Go check them all out. Even the ones that aren't on this list. Listen to them all. But next up, at number seven, 
um, is actually a conversation I had with Dale Brumfield, who's um, about his book, uh, Richmond Independent Free Press, a history of the underground zine scene. And this book and this uh, this conversation covers this really amazing time period in Richmond that you know somewhat overlapped with Guar um, and the founding of Guar, um, going back to you know the Beat Generation, um, hippies. I mean, you just don't hear a whole lot about uh, hippies and and beatniks hanging around Richmond. Um, he picks out a bunch of different magazines, um, and we talk about different things. And in each magazine, you come up with these incredible stories. Uh, like this one, we actually starts out talking about, um, you know, some of the introduction of drugs into the city, recreational drugs. And, you know, when Timothy Leary came and spoke in Richmond, took a pie in the face about that. Um, and, and also, you know, when Martin Luther King came a couple times and um, one of the times when he was supposed to come and, and wish he would have. But uh, let's hear Dale. Now, there was some pot smoking with beatniks, but sure. not much. Right, and that's the thing. You, you get in a little bit when, you know, when you're young, and then right. you, you know, and the next thing you know, you're, you've dropped acid and you look yeah. like a hippie. So. But it was, it, was, it was the BN of San Francisco that changed attitudes toward all that, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, Timothy Leary made his famous tune in, turn on, drop out speech sure. there. And you know, he started espousing LSD. Now, LSD was not very was not in Richmond in 1967. Pot was. But I think by the end of that year, and into 1968, LSD was showing up. Right. And And then then heroin showed up in 69. Sure. that's when everything started changing. Yeah, it didn't help out. Oh, terrible. It went downhill fast. Yeah, never heard of a person that said my life became so much better after I tried heroin. Yeah, (laughs) no, you don't hear that. Yeah, it does not happen. Yeah. Um, But you actually, you mentioned Timothy Leary came... I don't think, was that in the Sunflower when they were talking about where he came to the mosque? No, he came to the mosque in 78. Okay. Now, he may have come in the 60s, I don't know. Uh, it's possible he showed up here briefly, I, I don't know. But I know he came in 78, I saw him there. And he kept getting smashed with pies? Well, somebody came out, ran out on stage and threw a pie in his face. Yeah, some some local guy, I, 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 know, I think I know who it was. Um, yeah, there was a very dubious group of people who... Uh, were still hanging on to that violence and revolution philosophy from yeah. the late 60s. And uh, this guy in particular had, I don't know what his bone to pick with Leary was, but Leary was sitting there rambling this absurd talk about, he called it, it the acronym was SMILE, and it stood for Space Migration and Life Extension and, some, and something Life Extension. And he was going on about going, living in space and we'll never grow old and we'll right. never die. It was just all bullshit. And he was going on and on and on. And this guy runs out on stage and throws a pie in his face and he yelled something, I don't know what, and then just kept going. And Leary, I, and what we thought, everybody said at first, oh, it was, a st- it was staged, but it wasn't because you could tell by Leary. He sat down and he was visibly shaken by it. Right. But he just started wiping stuff off his face and just continued with this rambling, boring talk. Uh, and, and that was then that was the end of it, right? Which is, I guess, actively proving the point of why you don't want to do a whole bunch of acid, right? Right, I mean, right, because he made no sense, right? <laughs> I, I, it was just like, oh god, you know. So yeah, that was walking proof, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just best stay out of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> or so, don't make your life, don't make it your lifestyle, yeah, yeah. You know, like he did. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's going forward. We get like the back in the into the. Uh, um, 
into the uh, the sunflower. Yeah. Because um, there's all Sun- kinds of stuff in here that, I mean, um, I guess it, you know, definitely, it definitely did a lot of civil rights. Yeah, it was based on civil rights. Because, you know, the hippie movement was a direct offshoot of the civil rights movement. Right. What happened was, with the hippies, all the white kids saw the resistance and the fighting back that the black kids were doing. Right. And they said, you know what, We we can do that too against what we consider the oppression, you know, the establishment and all this stuff. So it was just, the hippies were just adopting what the civil rights movement had started in 1956. Sure. Uh, you know, when Rosa Parks started all that, Rosa started that, and then it just, it's a progression. And you can see, you know, here's another step, at least to another step. The Sunflower was a direct offshoot of the civil rights movement. And it, it, it sounded like, if you replaced the word hippie with black, or Afri- back then you'd say black or negro. Right. Just replace them. It, it's... It's all civil rights stuff. Sure. So uh, the Sunflower lasted 25 issues, mm-hmm. I think about a year. It came out bi-weekly, about a year. And it started out as really, uh, the, with the Sunflower, you can imagine, it was more the flower power, the peace and love generation of mm-hmm. 1967. But 1968 changed all that. And by the end of its run, it was more about resistance and revolution. It had grown quite militant Right. Uh, by the end of that 25th issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were talking more. They did a very nice photo spread. Mark Harriman did uh, shot pictures of a kind of a mini riot that occurred down on Broad Street right after Martin Luther King was killed. Right, right. And um, it, it was a very it was a very poignant uh, photo spread. And it was done very well. And that was when the Sunflower was at its best, documenting the the reactions of the civil rights movement. Sure, and he was supposed to be in Richmond. He was. The day he was killed, he was. His next stop was Richmond when he left Memphis. But he decided to stay in Memphis another day. And they had. They were all set up for him down at um, on uh, Mount Zion Church, mm-hmm. uh, down on Sixth Street, I believe. They were all ready for him. He was going to come preach there. They had the Richmond City Police were going to be in the choir. Uh, they had ushers. The Richmond City Police would be ushers. I mean, they were all set up for him to come to Richmond. And is it the Sixth Mount Zion Baptist Church? Sixth Mount Zion. Sixth Baptist. Mount Zion. Yeah. That's fantastic. And yeah, I'm actually he's going to speak there. I'm actually going to talk to the historian there. Are you? Um, I actually emailed him just before I was here trying to organize. So it's okay, well, I couldn't find any. Ask him about it. I looked on their website, and mm-hmm. they don't mention that. Right. But I found it in a 1991 Richmond Voice or some. I forget where I found it. I stumbled across it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he was supposed to come here, but he didn't. He decided to stay in Memphis to support the sanitation workers, and, and he got killed. Sure. But he had come here a couple times. A couple times. He came here in 59. In fact, he gave a speech in front of the mosque in 1959 that sounds a lot like his I Have a Dream speech right. four years later. There's a lot of parallels mm-hmm. in it. And the only place you're going to find that speech is on microfilm out in the Afro-American okay. newspaper. Uh, so he gave, he spoke to 2,000 people, heard right. him talk in front of the mosque. Wow. Like, that's astonishing. Yeah. Do you know what 2,000 people in front of the mosque looks like? It, it, it's a lot, a lot of people. people. And then after he gave this speech, they did a prayer vigil downtown, 17 blocks to the Capitol steps. Uh, they, what they were, what he was here for was over the Prince Edward County school closings. Sure. Uh, so he was, and he was telling them, he said, don't get angry. He says, "Don't." He said, "Embrace your opposition." It was a very unusually peaceful and gentle 
speech that he gave right. in response to a very ugly situation sure. down in Prince Edward County. And that's basically where they closed the they closed schools, schools for five years. In, instead of desegregating. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Instead of integrating them, they just closed them. Right. And so um, the only place you're going to find a really accurate a recall of all that information is both, you know, with Dr. Peoples, he did his dissertation on that whole thing, and he documented the school closings. The Afro-American, which is one of the papers I talk about mm -hmm. in my book, the Afro-American has some great articles about that whole situation and about King coming to Richmond in 59 and, and doing that prayer vigil. So it was, very, it was very cool to find that. Sure. And to read about it and see the similarities between the speech he gave here and the one he gave in D.C. Right. Four years later. And... Uh, there's a little more than 2,000 people, but it's still... Uh, yeah, a few more than 2,000. But, you know, to get, once again, for a civil rights leader in 1959, Richmond, to draw that kind of crowd, it's, it's astonishing. Amazing. It's pretty amazing. It's astonishing. Um, I mean, and there's all kinds of other stuff. Like, you know, James Brown got banned from the mosque? Yeah, he sure did. Uh, Marshall Rotella uh, was the, uh, the city. He was in charge of bookings for the mosque. He worked for the city. The city did the bookings. The Rotella brothers also owned Eton's Inn mm -hmm. on Gray Street, which was the quote-unquote gay beer joint mm -hmm. around town, So, uh, which was kind of unusual to have a beer joint where people, openly gay people, could congregate. But that's what Eton's was. But uh, Marshall Rotella, one of the owners of Eton, was also the booked the mosque. And uh, they had James Brown here. They said no more. He's, okay. he's banned because he goes down in the crowd and dances with women. Well, the unspoken sentiment was he dances with white women. Right. And we can't have that. So what if somebody gets mad? The city's on the hook. Yeah. That was his excuse. So he was banned. Um, who was the other one? James Brown was banned, and I mentioned another one. Uh, oh, uh, Chuck, Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Well, Chuck Berry was a band. He, right. Uh, he was... They, they turned down his request for a rental car after he made a reservation when okay. he landed because he'd had some trouble down in uh, wherever it was. Was he in Tennessee? Was he in Memphis at the time? He got accused. He got arrested and spent the night in jail for trying to make a date with a white girl, supposedly. So he left there, and that caused some bad publicity. So he comes to Richmond. He lands at Bird Field. He goes to the rental car. Death. They, he made a reservation. They said, sir, we don't have a car available for you. So he had to catch a ride with a guy to his concert. Yeah. Some dude just drove him to the to the arena on Boulevard so he could have his concert. That's amazing. Like, wow, welcome to Richmond. And I guess I think <laughs> they were like upset because he was late as well. Well, that was Jackie Wilson. Jackie Wilson. Jackie okay. Wilson was late. He had to drive himself in a snowstorm from D.C. Oh, to Richmond. Was yeah to the Sertoma Club, which I think was on the North Side. And when he got there, the club was closing. He missed it. So he said, you know what, Jackie Wilson has a reputation for not showing up for his gig, so we're banning him too. That's... <laughs> so, it's like, cool, you really? Ban them all, right? Ban them all. They're yeah, they're black performers, man, you can't perfect, you can't depend on them. Wow. So, you know, it, it's it's awful. What do you think? And, this... and that was a nine-year period. Yeah. I mean, the, the Chuck Berry incident was 1959. Jackie Wilson and James Brown incidents were 1968. So changed, things changed very little. Right, and I wonder is the... I mean, is there... I mean, that's... I can't think of anywhere else they would play at the time. I mean, they're basically banned in Richmond, right? I mean, an act of that size... I mean, unless you go to Norfolk or D.C. Yeah, I mean, they're I, done I here. I, mean, I don't know where else in the city that would have a, a venue that, you know, other than the mosque... Right. Uh, not at the time. The arena yeah. may have been an option. You know, the arena was for years. Um, mm -hmm. 
that may have been an option. I don't know. Thank you very much, Dale. Appreciate that. I do end up talking to Benjamin Ross, uh, who is the historian at Six Mile Zion Baptist Church uh, on episode 11. You can go check that out, uh, where he actually discusses you know, Martin Luther King's plans to, to take that trip to Richmond, uh, where he was supposed to be six months on a Baptist church on the night he was assassinated. Um, you know, go check that episode out as well. Um, not just about Martin Luther King, but, you know, um, the Reverend John Jasper, who was a heck of a character in his, in his own right. Um, but the, but the next episode on my list, number six of my favorites, this episode is actually very special to me. It was the first conversation I recorded for history replays today. Uh, it's, not the first episode. Um, the first episode is actually Harry Kolatz uh, from Richmond Magazine about his book, Richmond and Ragtime. Uh, but this was the first conversation I was able to schedule and able to convince someone to sit down with me. Uh, he, he is the owner and still a barber at the John Marshall Barbershop, uh, which is you know, a couple blocks off uh, uh, from the Capitol right there on Shaco Hill. And until I hear any differently, I'm, I'm going to continue calling it the oldest barbershop in Richmond. Uh, it actually opened on the same day that the market crashed in 1929, beginning the Great Depression. Um, but he, you know, in the conversation, he talks about Shaco Hill, um, you know, how the area around the Capitol has, you know, ebbed and flowed over the last few decades. Some of the stories he had heard from, you know, the old timers that had worked in the barbershop before him. Um, but being in that close to the Capitol, in the John Marshall Hotel, you know, which used to be one of the swankier hotels in the city, uh, and it has um, a ton of celebrities that have come through there. Um, so he actually talks about those. Um, and this, this little snippet, he actually only talks about, this is only one of the few times uh, that he'll actually talk in the, the podcast about some of the celebrities. Um, and, and trust me, Hugh is a, a fantastic ambassador for Richmond. Um, I, I guarantee these people go away feeling pretty good about their experience. And so I guess speaking of the, I mean, you mentioned you get governors and all these, you know, I'm sure a lot of the legislature and whatnot. Um, does that work out? I mean, I'm sure working, there's no big fighting, but I mean, you get, it seems like a pretty awesome place to have uh, some bipartisan talking, right? You never know. I've yeah. had uh, Jerry Blouse was in the other day, and then one hope that now a Democrat and a Republican. And... Uh, you get them away from what they do. Right. They're really buddies underneath all the sure. Patrick stuff. Sure. They are. Off TV and, and whatnot. Yeah. It sure. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, uh, I enjoy them all. You know? Right. And uh, one of the girls worked for me. She said, Miss Pamela, all the, when they roasted me here in the building, we had Jerry Blouse. I had, had a lot of people roasting on me. Okay. Walter uh, uh, Stosh, you know, just a lot of folks kind of folk. And uh, but they always say they don't know how to stand on my political stuff <laughs> right here, and I love them all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and over the years, you know, I've had people from Bruce Willis in there, Winston Churchill. I've taken care of several presidents, Bush uh, one and uh, Nixon. I spent a lot of people. And when you go down and look at the shop, that floor, that's the original floor from 29. Right. They, they said they couldn't save that floor. I said, you go on, you have to. And I know it was a great expense to keep that floor. It was a week's worth of grinding and working. Every day they grind it, circle areas that wouldn't and grind. They wanted to cover it up. I said, no. I said, so folks have been through here. It was really important to keep the integrity of that floor. Sure. Did not want to cover it. 
So I don't know how long ago Bruce Willis was in here, but I mean, did you give him a little discount? Because I know he's a little light on the hair on no. top nowadays. <laughs> you know he's got not as much hair. Really a delight. He really was a delight. He, 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 he had trimmed up. Uh-huh. And uh, he received a manicure as well. Okay. And he and the little girl was doing the manicure. He he was so funny. He Her face, she could read anyway. And... He would lean his leg against her leg, you know, and see uh-huh. here she is doing Bruce Willis. And stuff. Right, you could tell it. And how long ago was, was that? When he was doing a movie here? Was that like yeah, mid nineties, uh, late 90s probably. Gosh, I can't uh, remember that movie. I actually tried then. We were still yeah. over here. Uh, when was that? Uh, that was like I was in college. Actually, like, when was GI Jane? I think he might have been here for. Okay. When he did what's her face? Yeah. Did um, me more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I think I think it was. He's been here several times. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, how many celebrities here about you? I guess right because I know this. You know what the Jeffersons? Well, I tell you a quick story on Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, the Jefferson called and says uh, Bruce Willis is in town. He needs our and I said we're really busy. If anybody has to cancel, they can So I hang up and I told all the girls in there. This one had my eight employees. And there was a couple guys, mainly girls, and I said, anybody has a cancellation today, Bruce Willis is up there doing that. And it got really quiet. <laughs> and he couldn't believe I didn't say, come in and all that. You tell him again. So I had to get on the phone. I said, uh, you tell uh, Tommy drives it. Right. I said, Tommy, bring him down here. He'll get a <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. They would kick everybody out of the chair to get Bruce Willis. That's fantastic. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and I guess, you know, so, I mean, do you have, like, the, Political folks. I mean, you've seen most of those governors. I mean, governors, senators. You know, any like favorite governor, or anything, I mean, not politically, but just like what you like to see. That, um, you know, especially know. a lot of those folks. You know, you see their policies and whatnot, and then you're like, you know, who, who their job is to be nice, right? So when you see them in handshake them on the street, of course they're nice. That they're politicians. Um, but I mean, you sit down for 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, is there anybody that you just loved or you hated? Know what? Or, Probably, I didn't dislike any of them. Okay. For probably, you know, uh, I maybe shouldn't say this. <laughs> but, uh, I won't. Uh, That's all right. Char- I put it this way. We had a few characters along the okay, way. Okay, fair enough. And uh, Jerry Belisle's to probably was my favorite in the sense he so smart. Uh, down to earth. Probably Linwood Holcomb would be in there. Okay. And, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, I remember the first governor, Alberta Harrison, white, handsome man, you know, three piece suit. And I remember him, and he was, he was, you could tell he was old school, but he was always nice and polite. Mills Godwin, another, right. another true gentleman, you know, came through there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Lincoln Holton, that's like when during the desegregation school. Seventies. Yeah, you know, he stepped up to the plate. He finally did that, right? He sent his children. Yeah, right. And uh, Tim Payne, Tim, he's a nice guy. Yeah, Yeah. I've actually talked to him before. But, you know, again, when I've talked to him, it's like, you know, you never know. Any of these politicians, they they, they seem so nice to turn around. 46 years, I really, I don't know if anybody can get anything out of anyone any better than that. And I like, yeah, that's... And when you get them in there, and like I said, they become your buddies. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been invited to 
uh, done things with a lot of the governments. They've invited me to different things, you know, over the years. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, Derek, I mean, it's worth a shot, right? It's probably not going to happen, but like, good, dirty, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I figured I'd ask, right? It couldn't hurt. Uh, John Warner, uh, I don't know why he just popped in there. I would probably wouldn't get these guys coming back if you were, if you were shoveling the dirt. So, oh, no, 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 I won't do the dirt. <laughs> but, uh, John Warner, and he, wherever he went up, anywhere across the country, he'd bring me something. Didn't matter. Great guy. Liz Taylor. Uh, I met her probably half a dozen times, which mm -hmm. she remember the first time she walked into the barbershop, she said, uh, she hugged my neck. She said, here, you just do so much for John. Right. Yeah. And she was kind of, but she had these gorgeous eyes. Mm -hmm. When she looked at you, she just, unbelievable. Something else that's unbelievable is I've been doing this for a year now. I hope to be doing this for more years. Um, all these episodes, again, are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, um, you know, most podcast managers, or at historyreplaystoday.org. I want to, again, thank everybody that's helped me out over the, over the year. Um, you know, let me know if you have any guests that you'd like to suggest. Um, if you have any episodes you'd like to suggest for the, for the next five, for the, the top five as we go along. Um, support the podcast. Um, you can go write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. You can become a sponsor, just like River City Segs or Frame Nation. Um, definitely do that. Um, you can find out more information there just by contacting me, Jeff Major at HistoryReplaysToday.org. That's J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R at HistoryReplaysToday.org. You can also go to HistoryReplaysToday.org and click on the support button, find out more information there. You know, tweet at me at History Replays. Message me on Facebook, History Replays Today. I'm on, I'm on Tumblr as well, so follow me on all those different places. And um, you can also support the podcast just by donating a few dollars. Um, you can find out information about that at the, on that sponsor, I mean on the, uh, the excuse me, the support button. Um, find out more information there at the support button on historyreplaystoday.org. Um, help me keep this podcast free. Hopefully, you know, I'll still be able to do it for, for many more years. Um, you can also just tell somebody about it. You know, do that. Um, tell your cousins. Tell your sister. Tell your mom. Tell everybody they should subscribe to Richmond's History Podcast, History Replays Today. And remember, part two of this top ten, top five, will be out on the first. Thanks for listening, and make it a great day.